0: When something big is happening, a movement, a moment, a mission that could change the world, you want to be ready. You want to learn everything you can. And right now, something big is happening. He Gets Us is a multi-year national campaign to raise the respect and relevance of Jesus in our culture. It's starting conversations. It's grabbing attention and changing minds. It's all over Twitter, in Times Square, on billboards and in stadiums. And on February 12th, you'll see it on the biggest stage in America. You'll see Jesus in the Super Bowl. The conversation is starting. Are you ready for it? Hi everyone, around here at Messiah, we are passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus. We also want all of you to feel equipped so that you can share your story of faith with people who are in your life, people who might not yet know who Jesus is. And that's, that's how we accomplished a great commission, is all of us going out and sharing our faith. And of course, that's our mission here at Messiah, to connect people to Jesus. And so there's an incredible opportunity for all of you to be activated, into talking with others about Jesus in your circles. And it starts today, Super Bowl Sunday. It's why our current worship series is He Gets Us, almost like we planned it this way. And this year, because of the campaign, Jesus indeed is in the Super Bowl. Yep, He Gets Us is running two separate ads during the Super Bowl at a cost of $20 million so this is a chance for you to start conversations because people who know you and know about your faith might ask you what do you think about these ads what do you think about what they're saying about jesus and so i want to encourage you to do three things number one watch the game you heard that right at church we're encouraging you to watch the game that's what we want at messiah and eat chicken wings as well or It has nothing to do with Jesus, but actually just eat whatever you want. Uh, Number two, invite a friend. This series is gonna continue for a couple more weeks. And so we wanna see people, um, we want people to see Jesus for who he really is. And so invite a friend to worship with us the next couple weeks. And then number three, would you pray? This is the largest faith campaign in history and it's raising awareness for who Jesus is in our country. And I think we have an incredible opportunity to use this to help people get to know Jesus. For our message today, our video is called Outrage. Perhaps you've already seen it on TV during commercials. And just a reminder, we are glad that you are here. There was this controversial figure. Everywhere he went, people challenged him. They questioned his ideology, trolled him, called him ugly names but he never took the bait, never raised his voice, refused to retaliate because he believed he could change the world by turning the other cheek. So the purpose of this ad is to confront the growing outrage that seems to be taking root in our society. It's like our divisions and our echo chambers take what starts as disagreement and it turns it into hostility and hatred. I know you see this. And by contrast, the ad showed that Jesus also faced deep anger and mischaracterization by others. They were always misrepresenting Jesus, and yet he responded with love and with kindness. Ed Stetzer writes about how to bring our best when it seems like the world is at its worst. He says, unsurprisingly, when someone conveys disgust toward me, it's not a great feeling, but more importantly, I know our conversation is over. That person can't hear anything else I would say because that feeling of disgust and revulsion destroys empathy, which is essential to any communication. So how do we respond to rejection or when we're tempted towards outrage? Uh, One man went on a journey to learn a better way to do this. In his TED Talk, Jia Jang described how the thought of rejection terrified him throughout his life. So he did an experiment. In his 100 Days of Rejection, he described in detail in his book, Rejection Proof, how I beat fear and became invincible through 100 days of rejection. Gia came up with a variety of random activities with total strangers, and he recorded the results. He wanted to face rejection each and every day on purpose. For example, he asked a random security guard if he could borrow $100.00. Guard said no. He asked a worker at Five Guys if he could have a refill of his burger. Five Guys said no. He went to a Krispy Kreme and he asked an employee to link together donuts so that it would look like the Olympic rings. She said yes. There's a video from that encounter and it went viral. Millions have watched it. He asked for a haircut at PetSmart. (laughs) They said no, but they thought it was hilarious. And here are three things that he learned during this journey of intentionally facing rejection. He said, number one, rejection is a great teacher. Rather than being traumatized or outraged by rejection, we can approach it with curiosity and we can learn from the experience. Number two, rejection makes us stronger. By simply being willing to face rejection, within just a few weeks, people, including his family, said that Gia had become a new person. In fact, he seemed more assured of himself. And then number three, Rejection gives us perspective. He learned not to take things so seriously. And he learned to laugh at himself. Rejection is rarely as bad as we think it is. Ultimately, being outraged solves nothing. And all it does is makes our relationships worse. Jesus shows us a different perspective through this life. He didn't respond to rejection or mistreatment with outrage. He responded with love. So be prepared. Following Jesus Christ will bring rejection. Our text for today comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is referring to Old Testament themes, and he describes the way that the kingdom of God transcends normal human interaction, that the kingdom of God shows us a better way to live. And he does this by beginning with the phrase, you have heard that it was said. And then he shows his better way, but I say to you. I want to take us from doing the minimum, he says, to a life of love and generosity. So when Jesus says that he has not come to fulfill the law, when he's come to fulfill the law, he's telling us that he's moving us from law to gospel do not murder becomes don't even be angry, or it's not good enough to not just murder someone, what if you could actually reconcile the relationship? He even tells us to drop our offering envelopes. Instead, go make peace with someone first, and then you can give your offering to God. Jesus takes the command, do not commit adultery, and he tells us, Don't even lust. The the law tries to put parameters around divorce and tries to put parameters around cheating. It just keeps them in check. The gospel wants to keep your family together. It wants to keep your family strong. So Jesus in the New Testament is pulling us forward into a better ethic, a better way of life. Do not cheat to do not even think of them as an object. So help them keep their vows to each other. It's why we say the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon in history. Let's turn to Matthew chapter five and look at our text for today. Jesus said, "'You have heard it was said, eye for eye, and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn then the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is God's word. Before the law of Moses was set forth, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, it wasn't uncommon for retaliation to set off a wave of escalating violence. If they gouge out your eye, you can only do that back, Moses taught. You cannot chop off their hand. You cannot chop off their head. Retaliation cannot escalate. But Jesus takes a simple wall and he expands it. And I think Jesus is teaching us something very, very profound here. And it's not that you never defend yourself, it's not that you never defend your family or defend your country, it's not that at all. Because for sure, fighting evil can lead to good things. And of course, it's one thing to save yourself, but what Jesus is asking you is this, what if you could actually save bad guy what if you could help the bad guy change Jesus is saying a black eye can stop a bad guy this time but a black eye can't change him only one thing can change him that's why I like to say true love hurts love hurts sin love hurts death love hurts loneliness love hurts revenge it's Jesus on the cross telling the Father forgive them and why is he forgiving the soldiers because Jesus doesn't want to beat the bad guy he wants to transform him love hurts the devil's work in our lives when we take away the anger and the revenge and the pain we take away his power probably the kindest most Jesus-like, peaceful pastor I have ever met in my life was Eugene Peterson. He's the pastor who translated the Message translation of the Bible. Perhaps you've read it. Uh, He was such a loving man, and yet, he said it wasn't always easy being a peaceful person. When I was at a conference, he told us a story. It was in a small room, and he was sitting in a rocking chair, which was perfect for Eugene. And was right up close to him and he told us a personal story of growing up in a Christian home and he said he had good parents and they taught him right from wrong he had to memorize verses from his mother like bless those who persecute you and the verses we read today including and turn the other cheek but those Bible quotes didn't protect him from a bully at school named Garrison John's he said Imagine being so bullied day after day and trying to remember your mom's words Pray for your bully she would tell him and suddenly one day you just snap The Bible verses dropped from his consciousness and he reached out and he grabbed the abuser by the neck and to his surprise He realized I'm actually stronger than Garrison Johns He wrestled him to the ground He sat on his chest. He pinned his arms to the ground with his knees. It was too good to be true. And he hit him in the face. And that felt good. And he did it again. And then blood came from the bully's nose. And all of his friends were cheering and egging him on. And he begged him. He said, say uncle. The bully wouldn't. Say uncle. But he wouldn't. And then suddenly he remembered his mom's words, her Christian influence in his life. He commanded his, so, his foe, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the bully said it. And then Eugene Peterson, the most comforting, loving pastor I think I've ever met, said, my bully Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. See, what Jesus is showing us is that responding with outrage, responding with retaliation, when somebody offends us or disagrees with us, that is not his way of the kingdom. He wants us to choose a better way. And so number one, Jesus teaches us that we are to choose generosity over outrage. Being a follower of Christ means to choose kindness over outrage, generosity over stinginess, patience over retaliation. That would be very rare in our culture of outrage today. Take, for example, when Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go two. At that time, the Jewish people was occupied by the Romans. And Roman soldiers would frequently draft individuals on impulse to carry their loads for them. And the law said they could do this for up to one mile. This was your way of supporting the troops. Jews, however, hated this treatment. It emphasized that their country was being invaded by Roman rule. And even though they firmly believed that they were God's people, that God had given this land to them, The Romans kept putting that in their face. Very zealous Jews would refuse to do this, which resulted in conflict. And it would revolt and punishment for other Jewish people. In contrast, Jesus encouraged his followers to take a different course of action rather than rebel against this. He told his disciples, take the opposite approach. Don't just do what the law requires, carrying their pack one mile but carry it an extra mile as a way of showing kindness and grace. This demonstration of self-sacrifice would ultimately, Jesus believed, be far more effective in freeing your people because it would soften the hearts of the people that were against you. I think Jesus' crucifixion is the ultimate extra mile example. Number two, Jesus says, Choose sacrificial service over resistance. So who in your life needs you to go an extra mile with them? Before the crucifixion, there's a difference in attitude between Jesus and his disciples, especially the disciple Peter. When Jesus' followers saw what was gonna happen, their reaction was to bring swords to the garden. Their reaction was to use swords if those soldiers came near. And of course, one of them, Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus reacted very differently. He made them drop their weapons. He put the man's ear back on and healed him. Jesus could have responded with outrage, and rightly so, because he was innocent but instead he wanted to show grace. Imagine if the church majored in that. Imagine if that's what we were known for in our community. Instead of outrage or fear about what's happening in the world, let's remember that perfect love casts out fear. Jesus then finishes by telling his disciples that we are to love our enemies, we're to pray for them. It's hard to hate someone when you're praying, praying for them. Try it. Find somebody you hate. Pray for them daily and see if that hate hangs out in your heart. Pray for their life. Pray for their health. Pray for their well-being. Uh, and don't just pray that they start to think like you. That's cheating. Nothing like that. Just pray for their well-being certainly counter to what normally happens in our outrage culture and then number three choose love over hate again in Matthew chapter 5 I like to say that the gospel is a bad judge of character that grace is a bad judge of character Because God's grace doesn't focus on character at all. God's grace doesn't focus on how good you are or how well you behaved. God's grace only focuses on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You didn't earn the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin was a gift of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Grace is a bad judge of your character. And thank God it is because God has given us The gift of grace, which means we have the gift of salvation as well. Grace and outrage cannot coexist. So if you're prone to outrage, stop before you explode. And ask yourself this question. If I do this, am I somehow putting a shadow on the grace of God? If I talk like this, Am I in any way getting in the way of the gospel? If anybody had a reason to hate because they had been dealt a bad hand, something they didn't deserve, I think it was Joseph, not Jesus's dad, the guy in the Old Testament who had the multicolored coat. Joseph was loved by his dad and maybe his dad showed a little bit too, too much favoritism, but Joseph was a good son But because of this, his brothers were jealous of him. They had it in mind to kill him, but instead only sold him into slavery. And then when he was sold into slavery, he ends up in Egypt. And in Egypt, Joseph continues to try hard and to be a good person. And he ends up being elevated. And suddenly in Potiphar's house, he's a a lead aide there, a lead servant, and he's doing well, but then he's accused by Potiphar's wife, of trying to have an affair with her, which he wasn't. And then Joseph is thrown into jail. Again, he's wondering why he's been dealt such a bad hand, but he continues to pray for God to impact his life and for God to continue to keep his faith strong. And over time, and particularly because Joseph was able to interpret dreams, Pharaoh needs him, and Joseph once again proves himself to the leaders in his life, his father, to Potiphar, and now to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh ends up taking Jewish Joseph in making him in charge of all of Egypt, only under Pharaoh's command. And it's then that Joseph sees that his brothers come from Israel. They're in need, there's a famine. Joseph had planned for this famine. Egypt had plenty of food, but what would Joseph do? Would he retaliate against his brothers? Now he had the power. They deserved it. Revenge seemed right, but that's not who God was making him to be. That's not what it is to be a follower of God. Instead, over time, he restored himself to his brothers. He began to re-love his brothers, and he forgave his brothers. He didn't want to get even. He wanted them to get healed. And Christians, if that's the way you wanna live, Jesus is gonna be so proud of you, and I promise in your prayers that you pray for the Holy Spirit to come, the Holy Spirit is gonna inspire you to do it. Joseph was an extra mile. Follow our God. Jesus taught us to be extra mile kind of Christians. And as I like to say, I call this a gymism. The extra mile life turns enemies into friends. And I think our culture needs a whole lot more of that. All right, Pastor Chuck, I'm going to invite you out so you can pray for these people so that they can go eat some chicken wings. God bless you guys.